0: score podcast where we discuss the great film scores. I'm Andy.
1: And I'm John. And we've been going down the American Film Institute's 100 years of film scores, their list of purportedly the top 25 scores in American cinema history. We're down to number 15 on the countdown,
0: which means that on this episode, we'll be talking about John Barry's score to the 1985 sweeping historical romance out of Africa.
1: Out of Africa was written by Kurt Ludke, based on the memoir of the same title by Karen Blixen, writing under the pen name Isaac Dinnison, as well as on some biographies of both her and her lover, Dennis Hatton. The movie was produced and directed by Sidney Pollack. Andy, tell us what it's like to watch Out of Africa.
0: Well, it's a very long, stately, prestige drama, beautifully shot on location in Kenya, about the Danish writer Karen Dennison, who marries the Baron von Blixen and moves to what was then British East Africa, where she runs a coffee plantation and also has an affair with the big game hunter and free spirit, Dennis Finchhatten.
1: Karen Blixen is played by Meryl Streep. Her husband, Baron von Blixen, is played by Klaus Maria Brandauer. And Dennis Hatton is played by Robert Redford.
0: The movie is assembled from various elements of her memoirs, so it's a little hard to summarize, but we see her running a farm, we see her relationship with her husband, who she sort of married out of convenience, we see her feelings about the African landscape and the local people, and her relationship to her African servants and staff, and crucially, we see her relationship with Dennis Finch Hatton, who memorably takes her on a flight over the landscape, which is the part people actually remember from this movie. (laughs) Good enough?
1: Yeah, good enough. Well, Andy, next time we're going to get to talk about John Williams' score for (laughs) E.T. I think that's going to be a lot of fun.
0: Uh, So do I, John, but but wait a second. What? Um,
1: what? What is it? What?
0: I just heard us talking about um, Out of Africa, remember? What? Out of Africa. Uh, we just heard who produced it and wrote it and all of that. I think we're supposed to talk about it now.
1: Oh, we have. Um... All right, Andy, what do you think about Out of Africa?
0: Oh, I don't know. Remember last time I said I'd never seen it before?
1: That's right. I hadn't either.
0: Now I've seen it twice. Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's very long. It's like 240. That's right. How long has been her?
1: yeah ben-hur is like 340
0: all right well more happens in ben-hur
1: by a fair amount yeah this is long and slow and the overall feeling from it i got was that it really wanted to rub your face and how long and slow it is it was clinging to that as though it was a virtue of some kind
0: uh my experience was not knowing what it wanted I think it didn't know what it wanted. Well, that's certainly true. One of its possible ways of working was to rub your face and how slow and drenched with sentiment like a big soup. Uh, Yeah, one of its ideas was to be this gigantic epic, but it had other ideas too that were competing with that. I'm sure in the editing suite they had arguments about which thing to do.
1: Yeah, drenched with sentiment sounds like a thing that you would use a score to enhance if that was your strategy with a movie. Yeah. But this movie, this movie is not drenched in sentiment. Like, here, let's list some of the important things that happen in this movie. Uh, So let's see. This woman, Karen Blixen, played by Meryl Streep, she goes to Africa. So she arrives in Africa. That might be an important part. Mm -hmm. She meets Robert Redford's character, Dennis, who winds up being her prime love interest for the movie. So meeting him might be an important moment. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Uh, Ooh, there are some important things that happen with lions. A lion comes and almost eats her. And Dennis says, don't worry, it'll go away. And it does. And then later on, a lion comes and attacks In their camp, and Karen has to go and drive off the lions with a whip. And then, further, they're on a safari, Karen and Dennis, and they get full-on attacked by lions, and she has to shoot the lion, and he shoots a lion. And this seems to bring them together, and he touches her face with a sort of tender relief after this very intense moment with lions. And let's see, what's the romantic moment that marks the burgeoning of their romance? Well, he shampoos her hair very romantically, and they're very beautiful people, and, you know, they're kind of reciting poetry to each other, and he's massaging her scalp, and we look up at Robert Redford's face, and it's sort of haloed in the light. That would be an important moment, and then let's see. uh, Look, a whole bunch of other, like, important things happen. They finally kiss, they have all these flirty dialogues, then ultimately he dies, And we see Karen getting told that his plane crashed. And then there's a funeral and she reads this poem. And it's a lovely outdoor landscape wide shot. And it's very touching and poignant. So those, I think, probably a pretty good list of things that are important to whatever this drama thinks it
0: is. Also, listening to you tell that was a much more efficient way of watching this movie. Oh, my
1: God. (laughs) All right. So all of those things, I think, are important things to the story. Each and every single one of the story moments that I just reeled off, and there are more, but each and every single one of them has no music. Not a note. Mm -hmm. What is going on here?
0: Well, I think part of what is confusing about this movie is that the love story that you just sketched out is one of the several cinematic answers to what to do with the actual project of the movie, which was to adapt some memoir material, and some biographical material that just pre-existed. The movie is, as we said in the intro, based on the writings of Karen Blixen about her time in Africa. Under
1: the pen name Isaac Dennison.
0: And a biography of Karen Blixen and a biography of Dennis Finchatton. I was just watching the Academy Awards clips where this movie wins a ton of awards, and... When Sidney Pollack goes up there for Best Director in his speech, he says, I knew it was impossible to get a screenplay from this material, so I didn't try. Kurt Ludke didn't know it was impossible, and so he did it. That was his way of giving a compliment to the screenwriter. But, you know, their love story was not a written-for-cinema love story. It's just the affair that these two people had, and her memoir is not a story with an arc. It's just the stuff that actually happened while she was living in Africa yeah what's going on here is that one thread of how maybe this justifies being a big hollywood movie is that hey maybe it's that love story that you just sketched out stuff you didn't talk about is uh the guy she's actually married to and they have a farm and they grow coffee on the farm they were gonna have a dairy and it's they grow coffee that doesn't really sound like a movie does it well, it is. In this movie, it's a movie. It's trying to just make a movie out of some stuff, which is not really a satisfactory mission statement. Yeah,
1: you know what other movie we've talked about that we said that it was just trying to make a movie out of some stuff?
0: Yes, and this resembles that movie.
1: Which is The Mission, which came out the year after this movie, and it has a lot of similar moves to it. It's just trying to make a movie out of some stuff. It's a historical, foreign, landscape epic period piece.
0: Yeah, it's these Oscar Beatty kind of movies. Yeah, It's boy. like if we have people acting some historically legitimate, politically significant...
1: Very superficially politically significant. Yeah,
0: exactly. We don't have anything really to say about it, and we don't have anything really to accomplish here, but we're going to put it on the screen, and it's going to be prestige, and... Yeah,
1: and handsomely photographed. Right. Wide shots of landscapes that are exotic.
0: Right. Interspersed with dramatic dialogue between characters, it's a white elephant that Hollywood makes for itself to feel like it is doing something classy. And it's classy. It's just diffuse. It has a lot of different concepts of classiness that don't really go together.
1: Yeah, they don't coalesce into a story. They don't coalesce into an emotional arc. They don't coalesce into meaning. And it's just a long time to go by without anything coalescing into meaning.
0: I note that the Wikipedia entry for this movie says something like, this is one of the handful of Best Picture winners that has a rotten rating on Rotten Tomatoes.
1: Yeah, that's right. I looked at that too. It's at 57 on Rotten Tomatoes.
0: So, you know, but there are people who like it. It wasn't a complete sham that some people thought this was a good movie. You could still find people online who love this movie. So my first viewing of it, I found very disorienting. Yeah. I did not understand what was the point of the movie. Nope. I didn't know which things mattered. I didn't understand where I was... The
1: answer is none of them. ...in the form.
0: Well, the next sentence is going to be, on my second viewing, having seen it all the way through, when I wasn't watching for plot and I wasn't watching for event, I sank a little deeper into the mood that the music, when there is music, lays out, and felt like, okay... I can kind of feel this as uh, fundamentally a memory piece. It begins with a frame in which the elderly Karen Blixen slash Isaac Dennison is writing her memoir about this, and Meryl is doing her accented and elderly voice. I've written about all the others, not because I love them less, but because they were clearer, easier. He was waiting for me there. We understand that this is all viewed through the eyes of nostalgia and this wistful feeling of looking back at old romance. And when I watched it the second time, I thought, all right, that is what the music is playing. That's what the framing is trying to play. And I think that's what the whole movie is trying to be. It's trying to infuse all of these events, which are indeed just a series of events. And then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. It's trying to infuse them all with the feeling that she has looking back. thought, all right, maybe we're almost at something coherent. It didn't have to be this long. It didn't have to be this movie, but it maybe is emotionally coherent. And that's where this music is trying to lead us. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I just don't think there's any way of examining it that makes it emotionally coherent. Because if it was playing this nostalgic reminiscence, it would have scored those things that I mentioned earlier. It would have had a little bit more care in when the music starts and stops and when it just sort of flows like a gauzy blob. It just flows like a gauzy blob through everything.
0: Well, it's not through everything, as you keep saying. It's only in particular places.
1: Well, okay, through everything that it does flow through.
0: So you said this reminds us of the mission and sort of the type of movie and the aspirations of the movie. What it also reminded me of that we've already talked about in a prior episode was On Golden Pond.
1: Yes, absolutely. I saw that too.
0: Where the screenplay is constructed stagily in a series of scenes and then the music comes in to transition a time transition a spatial transition just between scenes to connect them right you know we talked about it being just like a splice in on golden pond here there'll be a transition where we see some landscape we hear a full 40 seconds of sweeping strings again and then it sort of fades out as we go into the next scene that's much of the movie work that way once more well done
1: we're off I don't know the scientific basis for it but I know you can see further into the African night than any other place and the stars are brighter
0: it's about the tents
1: Yeah, I thought of On Golden Pond as well. And yeah, in On Golden Pond, we mentioned how the music sort of seemed to want to live in the scenery, in the landscape, and not in the stagey dialogue. So when we got to see these landscape establishing shots between the dialogue scenes, it would get this music, and we compared it to bumpers, uh, you know, this kind of editing technique splice with music. Right. There was a lot of that feeling here, too. But the scenes through which it's sort of serving a bumper function— are weirdly chosen, and uh, I have a lot of things to say about the editing of this movie, too, which I think goes hand-in-hand hand with why it felt so out of joint to me. The main title ends at seven and a half minutes into the movie, and then we see a whole bunch of action. Uh, she goes to Africa. Sabu, I am Farad.
0: We can go now. Where is Baron Blakeson? He's at Mutaiga. Please, come.
1: She gets married to the Baron in this marriage of convenience.
0: The Valenbrough von Blixen, citizen of Sweden, and, uh. What's your name, my dear?
1: Damn it, Henry, I told you her name. Karin Christiansen.
0: Karin Christiansen Deinsen, a female subject of the King of Denmark, are henceforth united man and wife.
1: She travels to the farm. She sort of meets the staff at the farm.
0: This is your cook. Name's Eza. Eza? And this is Juma, houseboy. Juma.
1: And uh, learns about some things. She has a dinner with her husband.
0: Don't know anything about coffee. You planted it? It
1: grows. We said we would do a dairy and my mother my put mother her money up. Yeah, whether it's cows or coffee as long as it pays. A whole bunch of stuff happens and there's no music for any of it. It's just this series of unconnected scenes, uncontextualized, that feel kind of Like, they don't have any packaging to them. They're just kind of presented at arm's length, matter-of-factly. And I thought, okay, I guess, are they trying to create an impression that this is her experience of it? That she is kind of wandering through this landscape, unsure of where she is and what means what? Because it just feels very—you feel very alone as an audience member. It's what I felt. I felt like it was just flat and unprocessed. And I was like, why are they doing this to me? Is it supposed to be realistic? Is it supposed to indicate that it's serious? That it's sort of a higher storytelling than just, you know, a maudlin thing that would get a soupy score? Like, what is not scoring all of these things meant to indicate? Okay, so this goes on for a long time. The first actual cue of score in the movie isn't until almost 26 minutes in. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, what is it? Just another series of things. She's uh, sitting in her bed. And then she puts on her hunting clothes. Uh, Then we see a bit of landscape. She rides on a horse and she looks through binoculars. Again, like there's not really any meaning to this. It's just, okay, here are some little moments that we're going to collect together into an episode and play this music under. It's sort of just as uncontextualizing as the non-scored scenes. It seems very random. It seems very arm's length and bizarre.
0: Well, I agree with what you just described in terms of the experience that I had watching it the first time. But having gone back and looked at it, I don't think it was random. I think the thing that you described, the first cue in there, it's called on the soundtrack, Alone on the Farm. And I think the gist is that this is her emotional world alone. She is discovering what her life is actually going to be like here because her husband's not going to be around. She's not going to feel like a baroness. She's going to actually have to run this farm. She's sort of taking ownership of her space and this reality and yes maybe we felt like Africa is this foreign land and working this farm is arbitrary and this is just a series of life decisions that led her to this arbitrary place and now she's making an emotional space for herself that I think is the idea behind it all right it's called Karen's theme on the soundtrack also sure but I want to say about themes when I was watching this movie the first time I made a note to myself do not sell yourself out the only theme you were able to track through this movie was the one from the main title that you hear again when they go flying that one i recognize yeah that's the one that everyone knows let's
1: save that let's get to that in a minute
0: we'll save the actual music the other music including this theme for karen which does recur many times yeah i wasn't really aware of it signifying karen or anything else it's just some pretty john barry music
1: you know i actually think i was aware a little bit of that theme signifying karen I will admit there are a few spots where hearing that theme for Karen kind of worked for me.
0: Worked for you in what sense? What did it put across for you?
1: Just sort of what you were describing just now, that like okay, this is Karen processing what's around her and the music is sort of placing Karen in her environment. But not a lot there's only a few spots where I felt like that was a productive association that got made
0: I mean at one point I think you don't really see her on screen they're just showing the coffee crop they're showing like harvest time oh yeah and they play that theme a beautiful version of that theme yeah, it's her farm whatever you can justify it after the fact but it's really just some music from this movie happening during this movie
1: it's just slopped over things where it is it never felt like it was really motivated to be there Here, here's another sequence of music that I just couldn't get my head around. There's a sequence in the movie that I couldn't get my head around, both from the editing and the musical point of view. So there's some sort of landscape traveling music. And it actually sounds a little tense, like, you know, we're not sure what's going to happen. There's maybe some danger coming. But then it goes away. We see a shot of them sort of camping out at night. And now the music, for some strange reason, changes on a dime and there's this kind of saccharine melody playing over this shot of them at night in their camp and it kind of reminded me a little bit of you only live twice that james bond song this weird sweet melody
0: you Which is by John Barry?
1: Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the sort of melody that he spins out. And then there's this cut to a wide shot of the landscape, and now we hear a big, strong statement of, of what exactly? It's not the airplane theme, it's not Karen's theme.
0: It's just a tune in that scene, I don't think it comes back.
1: Yeah, exactly, it's just just some pretty music. It goes back into that sort of tense stuff from the beginning of this whole sequence, which I have no idea what this tension was meant to indicate, either at the beginning or the end of this sequence. What was the possible danger? What was causing things to be tense? And then it just stops. And then uh, it doesn't go anywhere. There's no answer to what was tense. It just felt
0: like, a bunch of stuff. Well, that sequence, what's happening in that sequence is her husband is off with the local military forces some miles away and has been left alone on the farm but then a guy comes and says your husband wants you to send a caravan uh, of supplies and women and children are being taken into a uh, camp for their own protection you have to come into the town and she's pissed off by this so instead she goes with the caravan and she does this thing that no one would think a white woman would do which is go through the wild country on this uh, journey
1: to go through africa which is where the film gets its title <laughs> Is that not right?
0: I don't think that's exactly what the title means, no. Oh, okay. (laughs) So it's supposed to be like her journey. She's doing something risky, and she has assumed this risk because she's daring, and it wouldn't feel like a risk unless we showed you that it was scary. And when the uh, lion comes, that's one of the risks that she's assumed. And when we see the Maasai warriors, you know, marching across the plain, and there's some scary... African drums music for the only time in the whole movie when we hear African drums.
1: Right, for the only time, as though the Maasai are the only African people in the movie.
0: Or they're the only African people who deserve this exoticized music. Anyway, some other scary stuff, you know, like, and then she gets there at the end, and her hair is crazy, and she's all scratched up, and she whipped a lion, and we think, wow, she is a real force to be reckoned with. She Nothing scares her. Sure.
1: She's a strong-willed woman.
0: Right. And the music had to be scary or else how strong is her will, really?
1: But the music doesn't attach to those things that were scary that you just named. The sequence of music that I described, that's the very beginning of her setting out on this journey across Africa, which is where the movie gets its title. <laughs>
0: Indirectly.
1: And then it stops. And then they're camping out, there's no music. They get charged by some horses, there's no music. Then, yeah, they get attacked by a lion, there's no music. Like, this is an intense experience for her. And I felt like not playing music is a real positive statement. It's not simply a lack of a thing, it's like sort of daring the audience. Like, okay, you're on your own with this.
0: I agree with you that it does not match up moment for moment there's basically no scene i believe this is true of this movie there is no scene in which an event happens in the course of the scene that is significant that is scored yeah there are just blocks of score that signify areas of emotion and areas of the drama
1: i guess you saying that is a little bit more efficient than me just angrily reeling off all of the individual moments that don't get score but that is true
0: the score is not about events And I absolutely see this as a liability of the movie because there is so much time and there are so many micro events. Like, we need some help with something and we don't get it.
1: And macro events.
0: Right, but what I'm saying is I think the idea of the movie that the music is playing to is that all of this constitutes a memory, a kind of moment in her life. You know, why do they have her repeating over and over again, I had a farm in Africa, which is not a dramatic line. I had a farm in Africa. I think the point is that in a memory, it's a wondrous thing to her. Hard to believe at the age of 70 or whatever age I am now, that when I was 28, I had a farm in Africa. The sentiment behind the movie is, these things happened to me and there's all this feeling behind them. But the feeling is not when I think about what one person said to another or what happened, you know, when that lion attacked me. Like Those are actual events. That is memoiristically presented but the whole thing has feeling in it somehow. And I don't think that the movie has come up with an elegant or particularly effective solution to that kind of tension between realistic memories and a nostalgic framework that holds them all together. But I do think that that's what the music is doing. So I wasn't specifically annoyed that it didn't, Why didn't it give me this? Why didn't it give me that? I kind of got instinctively, and especially on the second view, it's not going to give me that. It's trying to do something else. So I'm perfectly willing to complain about this movie, but I'm going to complain about whether that other thing it was trying to do came off very well. Okay.
1: Well, I mean, yeah, I ultimately had to sort of accept that that's what was going on here. I I have written down in my notes here all of these things that I'm railing against, and then I've actually written down here, okay, okay, I have to stop (laughs) looking for this to babysit the individual emotional beats. Right. It won't. It's playing a long game over just the whole scape of it. Right. And then I, a few beats later, I you know reflexively started writing, wow, well, there's nothing for this. Oh, now there's nothing for this. Okay, stop it, I wrote <laughs> to myself.
0: What if this movie had not had any of this John Barry music and had been as you skeptically hypothesized, you know, is this supposed to be high? Is this supposed to be quote-unquote realistic? What if it had really stuck to its guns and been, indeed, kind of art house presentation of, like, I really liked the phrase you used earlier, it didn't have any packaging, it was not packaged. What if the movie had been completely unpackaged from beginning to end? Would that have felt more coherent to you? Because I think, to me, it would have. I would have gone into a mode that I have for dealing with that.
1: Yeah, I think maybe you're right.
0: I would have been able to have high thoughts about it.
1: But... Okay, this is a memory movie, like you say, it's just going to be this poetic sweep, it's just going to be about these things that are parading across the screen in this kind of artsy, unfocused, arm's-length way, and that's going to be the effect of it. I think even to do that, you should have picked out the moments where that feeling lives. I think they didn't bother to think about what moments would tell that story, what moments would have that effect, except with the sole exception right. being The Thing which won this movie all of its accolades.
0: Right, let's talk about the five minutes that are this movie and everyone's memory of this movie.
1: Which, of course, we're talking about when Robert Redford takes Meryl Streep up in an airplane, a 19-teens biplane, and flies her around over Africa which is, I think, where the title comes from.
0: Yeah, maybe. Possibly. There is beautiful aerial photography of the animals, the African plains, the mountains, and this music fills up the space, and it feels like it connects, it works.
1: Yeah, it's like an IMAX movie. Right. It feels like a natural history show, which would be great. If I was in the Museum of Natural History watching that IMAX movie, I would love it. Those five minutes are lovely and delightful and moving, I suppose.
0: Okay, well, let's talk about the emotions... Again, this is not coming from the point of view of a fan of the movie, but I feel like there is some legitimacy to what it's trying to do in terms of the movie itself. I feel like the emotion being expressed here is the wistful emotion. You know, in the main titles, we hear this big theme, and then, what is it, about an hour and 55 minutes into the movie, something like that?
1: Yeah, something like that.
0: They go up in an airplane and you hear it again. really is like a pop song. It churns through this series of chords that we kinda see coming. Yeah. There's a couple poignant moves that are familiar to us from pop songs, and it goes around the cycle in a very predictable way. And then you know, this is how pop music is. Got the one chord, and then we go up to the three chord, oh no, the tragedy of life. The six chord, oh, the acceptance of the tragedy of life. And then the four chord oh but the sweetness. And we know these moves And then at the end of the first phrase, it gets to a five and it hangs out there because it needs to fill the time before it gets back to the one. Uh The audience has this feeling of like, here we go again, the eternal story. (laughs) What must be, you must be.
1: Yeah, and then on top of those harmonies, there's this succession of reaching up higher and higher in the melody. And then it reaches up again, even higher than you thought possible. It's this very sort of up, up, and away kind of feeling.
0: And I feel like that is all pretty close to correct for the emotion that this movie wants to get across with this not particularly well-constructed love affair. The main thing is, it happened, it had feeling in it, she's old now, and all the mixture of emotions just is. And it's just going to go around in a cycle. We're not going to have a resolution, there's no entry point, there's no exit point, there's just the pop song rolling over and over. And that is effective. Yeah. You know, for all that I'm not really a fan of this movie and didn't have a great experience with it, I cannot deny that there is just a basic effectiveness of these tools for tugging your heartstrings. And this was one of those experiences where it tugged my heartstrings and my mind is going, What? What are you talking about? What does that even mean? Which I think sort of defines what cheese is or what uh, you said saccharin. I think it's when you feel something and your brain says, there is no reason for me to be feeling anything. (laughs) So this is just a device. And these are very strong devices. You play a big one chord with a lot of strings and you play a big three chord with a lot of strings.
1: Yeah. And you play them over, you know, aerial photography of beautiful African safari. Right.
0: And you play them four times in a row in the same sequence and it starts to feel necessary. Your critique of the score has mostly been along the lines of why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you help me? Why didn't you help this movie? For me, the critique is more John Barry, you know, over the course of his career did a bunch of things. I mean, he's very famous for having done the James Bond, which is obviously in a whole other register than this. But he definitely had this place he goes, this sort of all-purpose, sentimental, pop-inflected, orchestral-style distinguished to me by the thick unison string section playing the melody right that he did just time and again because it's effective stuff you know his next oscar after this was for dances with wolves here's the theme from dances with wolves Similar thing. And famously, he wrote the tune Born Free for another movie about lions in Africa. And it's like the same tune upside down. Here's the theme from Born Free. Then I I was looking and saw, like, oh, the next thing he did after this was Howard the Duck, of all things. (laughs) Here's the theme from Howard the Duck. Here's what John Barry does, and it is worth money. I completely understand why he kept getting hired to do this and why producers kept putting this in their movie because, yeah, knowing exactly what you're about is a lot to ask of a movie. (laughs) And a lot of movies just wanted to take the audience somewhere and give them something. I think that's just kind of a classic producer's attitude. Like, are they going to feel something? Let's make sure they feel something. And this is a way to do that. And so my complaint about the music here is more like it wasn't very specific. Yeah. If you listen to this album... It sounds, quote, moving, end quote. And does it sound like Karen Blixen, who wrote into the name Isaac Dennison? Or does it sound like Africa? Or does it sound like a romance between... No, it's just yeah. it's just moving. and uh... Yeah,
1: well, I think that ties into the angle of my complaint as well. It doesn't really relate to what we're looking at, because it hasn't been attached to the story. If we had heard this theme, different versions of it, different fragments of it, As their romance was blossoming, then when we hear it in this soaring statement on the airplane, you would feel like we've arrived somewhere with it. But no, it's just intrinsically sentimental without being associated with storytelling.
0: But back to my thing about your brain and your heart, your sentimental response being at odds. When you just give in to the sentimental response and can no longer explain what the movie is about or why, but are just having an experience... I feel like, ah, there's almost something here.
1: Yeah, there is, except here's my rebuttal to that, okay? I was actually on an airplane as I was watching this. As I was watching this scene, I was on an airplane. How about that?
0: (laughs) Were you on a biplane?
1: No, I was on a (laughs) Boeing 787.
0: Is your point that when one is on an airplane, one is more inclined to feel sentimental?
1: Well, my point is that as I was watching the scene and listening to this music, I was sitting on the tarmac of LAX having landed an hour ago, just taxiing all around because not only were all the gates occupied, but all of the like parking pads they use when all the gates are occupied were also occupied. And so there was this delay having already landed on the ground at LAX. So uh, where's the romance of flight now, Mr. Barry? (laughs) (laughs) That's it? Yeah, I don't know. I was on an airplane and I had a bad time on the airplane. So I'm going to Blame him for it.
0: All right. I thought you were saying something real about like, when I'm on an airplane, that's when I'm going to tear up at a stupid movie because that's what you do on an airplane.
1: No, well, I was actually looking forward to seeing what would happen if I was looking out the window of an actual airplane as I was listening to that music, didn't get the chance to because of stupid LAX.
0: Okay. I'm so sorry to hear about your bad flight, John. And I'm sure our listeners are as well.
1: Yeah. Boy. Build more LAXs, I guess, is the takeaway here. Okay, but I do have an actual criticism of the scoring choices of this scene. I agree with you. There's absolutely an abandon that you can fall into while listening to this. Good word. Thank you. Yeah. And sure, it's well accomplished in that sense, and it definitely works. These five minutes, no doubt work, no argument. But what about at the end of them? So this whole movie... Everything has such a slow pace. The editing itself, but also the musical entrances and exits are so slow. They ramp up and they ramp down. In a lot of cases, I think it's to cover the fact that the music was not necessarily explicitly written for that scene, and they kind of have to fade it out slowly to trick you into thinking that it belongs there.
0: I can only speculate, but based on the output, I suspect he just wasn't that interested in cue sheets with the timings marked and he just wanted to write the scene and the sound of the scene he'd write a song for it essentially with no lyrics and that's what he did so yeah the timings are clearly not an important part of this yeah
1: there's a lot of places where it's very clear that the timings weren't important or weren't given care a lot of places where the music kind of bleeds out over the cuts to these sequences so you know something is happening
0: i remember that quite well
1: and then we hear the music kind of ramp up and ramp up And you'd be like, oh, okay, here it comes a landscape shot uh, You know, it just telegraphs it, And then, yeah, we see a landscape shot And then we go into the next thing after the landscape shot And the music is like, okay, well, we gotta wind down a little bit Here's my warm-down lap When you go away on safari Are you ever with someone else? I'd be with you if I wanted to be with him. All of these very fuzzy, non-distinct ins and outs. So at the end of this flying sequence, here the music fades out before we get to the end of the shot. Mm-hmm. The music fades out while we're still looking at the airplane in the clouds. The music fades away and we hear a little bit of just the airplane noise of the wind and the propeller. And I actually thought, oh, you know, that's kind of nice to actually contain the music here in a way that the music had never been contained through the rest of the movie.
0: I liked it, too, and it relates, I think, to the thing I've been talking about, that, like, the memory is all of this feeling, and in the moment, she could hear these sounds. It was a real moment. It had a reality to it. We get to experience both.
1: Sure, but then what happens next? Then we cut straight to a sex scene. They're in bed, and it's the most explicit intimacy and romance that we see in this movie. I want to move. Don't move. And what's playing over it is just the most simplistic high tremolo. It's just this little pad that is not doing anything. And even though I had liked it in the moments when the music faded out in the clouds, I thought, well, if there was ever a spot in this movie to have the music bleed over a scene into the next and have it connect the two that way, why wouldn't you connect this soaring airplane scene with the sex scene? For crying out loud, why wouldn't that be part of the same poetic reminiscence?
0: But I got to say, that kind of worked for me. I thought the little sexy moment coda, because it's in exactly the same key, you hear the cadence from the flying cue, and then there's a space, and then they're in bed, and you hear, essentially, another cadence that you understand is to the same cue.
1: I didn't understand that.
0: It's like you hear, dah, 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 resolution in C, 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 C. And then you hear space. And then they're in bed, and it's like, you know, ah man.
1: It felt disconnected. It felt explicitly disconnected to me in a way that every other moment in the movie felt just sort of lazily connected.
0: If it had been completely continuous, I think that the, you know, them having sex is just kind of an extension of them having these wonderful experiences out uh, in the sky together would have been pretty on the nose. But because there was this gap, the bed is this afterthought, but also a reprise these things are in parallel and one follows the other but we don't need to make this kind of over obvious cinematic point of saying they're the same thing
1: all right i i didn't feel it that way uh i didn't believe that those two back to back pieces of music connected to each other because there's no scheme for any of the cues in the movie to connect to each other you know he wrote this big soaring melody and he kind of forgot that he could use it as a theme to unify different things that happen to the character together. It's actually kind of underused in the movie.
0: Oh well, yeah, I agree. After the main title, you don't hear it for almost two hours. And then after that, you hear it, what, one more time when you see the plane again? Yeah,
1: this reprise when we see the airplane flying and landing on the beach. That's the only time we hear that theme again. Outside of the main title, the end credits, the one scene of flying around, and then this one tiny little reprise, we don't hear it. You know, the statement of that theme that comes in as the credits come up or, you know, leading into the credits, the last few shots, when we see some lions lying on Dennis's grave in Africa, which is, I think, where the title comes from.
0: All of your examples of where the title comes from would be in Africa. Yeah. The title is out of Africa.
1: It's just a random preposition, in Africa.
0: So I think you need to think it through a little more. I think you need to evaluate a little more carefully where the title might come from. I think it comes from the opening scene in Denmark, which is the only scene that takes place out of Africa.
1: Ah, so why did they just call the movie Denmark?
0: Probably rights reasons.
1: Yeah, that's right. So the title theme that comes up leading into the end credits is a relatively subdued statement of the theme. It's played on a flute, and then it's played again on strings, but in a much smaller orchestration than, you know, the big sweeping, soaring one. And it sounds nice, and I thought... Boy, this texture, this treatment would have been so useful for you. Why didn't you take this subtle and relatively simple statement of the theme and play it underneath her reading the poem at his funeral? Andy, could you just put that music underneath the funeral and her reading this poem?
0: We won your town the race. We chaired you through the marketplace.
1: Man and boy stood cheering by as home we brought you,
0: shoulder high. Smart lad to slip the times away from fields where glory has lost.
1: I think it sounds good. That would totally fly. I would feel like, yeah, I'm watching a movie. Here is a emotionally important thing happening in this movie. This is a summation of his life and uh, his ethos and the fact that we're hearing this theme from when he was flying before makes total sense because of death, blah, 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 blah. It would have been totally resonant and effective. I just don't know what they were trying to prove by by not doing that.
0: We flock to gaze, the strength is dead and find Uh, I'm sure if you had slathered it even more with slathery music you could have made this movie have fewer holes through which the audience could slip out as I did yeah I'm not sure that I would think that that was a better movie but it would probably be one that I spent less time thinking I don't know what's going on yeah because when music is playing You know what's going on. It's whatever this music feels like, if it's blunt enough music. There's all kinds of music that is not my kind of music that I nonetheless am susceptible to. And if you put it on a loop, I will feel the feelings. I'm a sucker. I don't know. Did I want to be, you know, soundtrack from Out of Africa for three hours? I mean, if you want to play the What Would You Have Done? What If We Tried This Other Thing hypothetical game? Uh, Let's go even bigger. Okay. Could you have made a movie about the life of Karen Blixen and her affair with Dennis Finch Hatton and British East Africa in the teens that was scored in a way that kept you engaged, not just at a base emotional level, but in the specifics? Could there have been music that got us there? And I guess my only point in raising it is I think it's a complicated problem. I'm not sure. There are ways of putting more packaging in there. Like you said, I like the word. But it would still just be kind of packaging rather than engagement with the drama. It's a very complicated piece of material. I kind of agree with Sidney Pollack. It's (laughs) It's not a natural for a movie. So I'm not sure that I disagree with the big choice of like, well, let's just get John Barry to put some of his patented John Barry strings over it and make it sentimental. That seems like a reasonable production choice to a problem that I'm glad I did not have to solve. That's my take.
1: Yeah, well, I agree with you. I think we are in the same place, and I think what it boils down to is something that we've said for past episodes, which is that really, you can't have a great score without a great movie.
0: Yeah, I completely agree, and I thought that thought. I heard your voice saying that while I was watching this.
1: Because the score needs to respond to storytelling moves that are well thought out, and the audience understands their import. When you don't have such things happening in the movie to attach to, you can't have a score that is a great score, because that's not what the art is. At least that's not what the art that I want to make a list of is.
0: My inclinations, I mean, I'm the one who just uh, put Sunset Boulevard at the top because it was so intricate and so elaborate and all of that, so I obviously sympathize with that point of view. I'm trying in thinking about these things for podcasting and conversation purposes not to be too dogmatic about it and to be open to the idea that A score like this, which is just this side of like a pop song score, a score where they don't write any original music. They just take some music that has emotional value, and lay it in. And which they
1: did do in this score, which we didn't really remark upon, but...
0: With Mozart, is that what you Yeah, mean?
1: exactly. They play a lot of records of Mozart throughout the movie.
0: You listen to the Mozart clarinet concerto at length, and, you know, you, you listen to it a couple of times, it's like, he used to play this music and it reminds me of him, but in one sequence, they just play it over a montage of what is going on in their lives, and I thought, yeah, the Mozart kind of bringing pretty much the same value yeah. as uh, John Barry was bringing... Days and hours that Dennis was at home, we spoke of nothing ordinary. Not of my troubles with the farm, my notes due, and my failing crop, or of his with his work and what he knew was happening to Africa. It's pretty music, it has poignancy implicit in it. And uh, that'll do it, you know? It's just bathing the whole thing in the world of sentiment.
1: Yeah, bathing, I like that.
0: But anyway, I'm just saying I'm okay with the idea that that is a thing that works in the movies, it works on me. So I don't want to be here saying the art of movie music is the art of being a dramaturg.
1: I want to say that.
0: Okay, well, I'm just, you know, I'm the other voice on this podcast. I think that tuning it up and bathing it can be legit and that's that is an art just as much to criticize for not having been done well so my criticism of this movie is just that it wasn't done well and I think that John Barry himself who indeed went back to this sort of approach and this sound time and again had much more compelling effect on other movies that were just better constructed to receive it so I don't have a policy issue here at stake that's all I wanted to
1: say well I think we're not even that far apart on policy either because yeah I agree that that mode of scoring is valid and can be done well. But I just think that when you do that, you are also making dramaturgical choices. Oh, yeah. Those dramaturgical choices have to be part of a comprehensive, cohesive filmmaking strategy.
0: Sure. For example, one of John Barry's early achievements is he scored Midnight Cowboy, which is mostly famous for a compelling use of pop music.
1: Which is totally compelling, yeah, and I would never want to say you can't do it with pop songs. You can't do it with soundtrack-style scores. No, that's a totally good, valid way of making a movie, but, you know, you gotta think about it. You still have to think about what the music is doing. You have to have the same kind of dramaturgical thoughts, even when you're not composing original music.
0: All right. So wait, new hypothetical question. What if this movie had been scored entirely with pre-existing classical music and they had hinted that the connection was, well, Dennis Finch hadn't played this on his phonograph?
1: Yeah, that would have been great. That would have been better. That's such a great idea.
0: If they had laid in in nearly the same places with nearly the same effect, but it had not been original music, you would have related to it in a way that suited the movie better.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because then the music is adding something. There's more information in there about the historical context of that music and why he would have been listening to it what a great idea Sidney pollack it
0: is interesting to think of that because we're going to get to at the end of this list the last thing on this list we're going to get to a movie where they wanted to score it with classical music and someone said no it'll work better if it's written with original music or we just talked about in the relation to uh, sunset boulevard that he wanted to end it with music by richard strauss and no it'll be better if you have music related in this case yeah Yeah, I think it might be the other way around. Yeah. The fact that these tunes are original, it makes a claim about what the music is expressing that is too strong for this music. The music is not expressing anything that specific.
1: Right. And the movie is also not really expressing anything that specific.
0: I feel bad that I'm being sort of dismissive of John Barry here, and it's not really fair to him. I feel like it's worth reminding everyone, like I said earlier, he did many other things, including famously all the classic James Bond movies.
1: I was going to say, I think it's very fair to speculate about his appearance on this AFI list because he is so well-known, because the James Bond scores and the James Bond theme and the James Bond sound that he created are terrific achievements that I love and that he deserves a lot of credit for, but you know, you can't put a James Bond movie on the AFI I guess you can't put it because it's not really an American movie. But Oh,
0: I don't know. I think they just couldn't put the James Bond movie on because it notoriously has a dispute over who wrote the most famous tune from it. Right,
1: which if you're curious, I wanna refer people to Matt Gorley's great podcast, I Was There Too, and he uh, in one of the episodes really lays out for you exactly where the credit should lie between John Barry and Monty Norman. To sum up, it's John Barry who should get the credit.
0: Right, okay, but it's touchy, there's a lawsuit, it's a big issue, and so they couldn't say, hey, John Barry for this, so they had to put John Barry for other things.
1: Yeah, exactly right. You know, John Barry deserves his place as a famous film composer whose music is deeply woven into popular consciousness, but how do we fit him onto this list? Oh, here's this artsy, you know, Oscar bait movie that uh, that he scored.
0: You know, for a concert where they were going to, show a sequence and play the music to it. Hey, this has a great five-minute excerptable sequence that will completely sustain that. That'll be great.
1: Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, for a lot of these movies, you know, we mentioned at the beginning of this series that I was at that concert at the Hollywood Bowl where the AFI's list of the top 25 movies were revealed. They were played in a countdown, and the playing of each movie was the revelation of what the numbers on the list were. And I've kind of been going back and thinking... Well, which scene did they play for that movie? Which scene did they play? And I wasn't sure for a lot of them. I have no doubt what scene they played when they got up to this movie. Right. This is the only scene you could play. All right. So let's put this to bed here. Do you want to go first this time? Where you are going to put this on the list? Sure. You're ready to go? Okay. If you're ready to go, let me just do a little teaser preface here uh-huh. about what I feel. And then you go.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: What I want to say is, you know what score is better than this one? <laughs> the mission. Okay, so spoiler, I'm putting this below the mission on my list. Now you go.
0: Well, why don't you just do yours? You already said it. Why don't you do the rest of yours?
1: Uh, I was wrestling with where to put it. But yeah, the mission, as much as I had, you know, principled objections to the mission about it not gelling into a real storytelling cohesiveness, I loved the music. There were many spots in the score where the music was wonderfully sympathetic to the action and really drew the audience through an emotional journey in an important way worth celebrating. I feel like I want to rehabilitate my impression of the score of The Mission after having thought about this movie. So I don't know if I want to actually revise my list and move The Mission up it, but I'm definitely putting this underneath it so that there's air underneath it. Is it going to go above or below Pink Panther at the bottom? I'm not sure. You go.
0: You're not willing to say it? Why don't you just finish your speech? You got to decide, John. No, I'm
1: like you in the past where I'm like, I'm genuinely not sure what I'm going to do and I want to hear what you say first.
0: All right. Well, maybe it didn't come across, but I've been sort of on the defensive here because of how critical you've been. On my second pass, I thought, I get what this music is doing. I get what this movie is trying to do. And I can kind of see how some people might have found this a rewarding bath to take so for me this goes below the mission for pretty much for the same reasons you just said the mission might not be a successful movie but the music was specific it was interesting it was unusual he
1: bothered to think about the themes of the movie and to translate them into different musical themes
0: oh yeah he was intellectually engaged with what the movie was about exactly and what he created was distinctive to that movie, at least at the time. Things have imitated it since. Yes. And as I said, it also reminded me of On Golden Pond. I think that the contribution that this made to its movie seems to me more significant and more gripping than On Golden Pond. So my inclination was to put it above On Golden Pond and below the mission Although in this conversation, your negativity has definitely made me think, yeah, it really wasn't that good. Maybe it should go below on Golden Pond. Uh, I guess on Golden Pond just felt very much functional and low-key, and the fact that this had an IMAX moment in it that has big impact felt like, well... Yeah, I get why they'd put that in a montage of great movie music moments, and I'll grant it that. So that's where I'm going to put it. I accept my original thought, which I'm going to put it above On Golden Pond and below The Mission, which makes it fourth from the bottom on my list.
1: Maybe we should here just sort of quickly run down the ordering of the films on our list.
0: My current list, from top to bottom, is the one we did last time, Sunset Boulevard, then To Kill a Mockingbird, A Streetcar Named Desire, Planet of the Apes, Ben-Hur, On the Waterfront, The Mission, now Out of Africa... And then on Golden Pond, How the West Was Won, and finally The Pink Panther.
1: Okay, so I think I will go along with you in thinking that, yeah, that IMAX moment was at least something. It was something that they had to play at that concert. What could they have played for The Pink Panther at? the concert. The only thing that they could have played for that was the credits. (laughs) So the fact that there is a takeaway from this that is actually scoring visual images on the scene, and the Pink Panther really doesn't have that, I will put it underneath the mission and above the Pink Panther. So to run down my list now, it goes from the top to the bottom. To Kill a Mockingbird, A Streetcar Named Desire, On the Waterfront, Planet of the Apes, Sunset Boulevard, Ben-Hur, On Golden Pond, How the West Was Won, The Mission, Out of Africa, the Pink Panther. And if you, for some strange reason, want to follow along with the list that we're keeping, you can go to our website at settlingthescorepodcast.com and follow the link to our rankings. And we have them listed there if you want to keep track.
0: Yeah, this element of the show kind of. Developed organically, if you listen to the first few episodes, you can hear us just doing it on a whim And now it is an ungainly burden (laughs) Because we have all of these, you know, how many is it at this point? 11? Yeah That's a lot to keep track of If you care about keeping track, go ahead and look on the site But I think we are not going to read them off every time, right?
1: No, no
0: Yeah, it's a lot Okay,
1: well, at the beginning of the episode, I said, next time we're going to talk about John Williams' score for E.T. I lied You know what we're going to do next time, Andy?
0: Uh, Oh, a special interruption episode.
1: Yeah, a special interruption episode. We're going to take a little break from our running down of the AFI's 100 Years of Film Scores, their list of the top 25 scores in American cinema history, and we are going to take a look at some contemporary movies. The Oscar nominations were just announced, so we thought it would be fun to devote an episode to the five scores that have been nominated for best score for this year's 2018's Oscars. And we're going to talk about them, probably in lesser detail for each movie, because there are five of them to get through. But we're going to talk about which ones we like, and maybe we'll make some predictions about which we think should win and will win, that sort of a thing.
0: And we're going to do our damnedest to squeeze it out before the actual winners are announced. Yeah, that's so right. hopefully you'll be listening to it before the Oscars.
1: Yeah, so you can have that to arm you for your Oscar pool.
0: I mean, I wouldn't use it, You're going to hear us say we wish something is going to win and it won't be what wins. That's already my prediction.
1: Oh, that's also my prediction, that the thing that we wish would win will not win.
0: If you have a box for that on your Oscar pool ballot, you should mark that.
1: But I think I'm going to also venture a prediction as to what I think will win, as different, perhaps, than what I think should win. Yeah, all right, fair enough. Okay, so that's coming up next time. And then after that, we're going to go back to the list to E.T., the extraterrestrial. Oh. So fun stuff coming up. Oh, you didn't know what E.T. stood for?
0: the extraterrestrial yeah that's it yeah I've seen that one
1: which is I think where the title Out of Africa comes from
0: yeah O-O-A
1: so alright Andy you pipe up here and just quickly say
0: uh, subscribe on iTunes leave a review if you like the show follow us on Twitter and, and feedback there if you have feedback
1: yeah right yeah do it and what's our Twitter handle
0: Andy gosh I don't know it's at score settlers
1: yeah it's at score settlers you do know
0: I do know you've told it to me
1: okay so do all those things and next time we're going to listen to a bunch of film music how about that
0: sounds good let's do it
1: all right